I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first five verses this morning, and in particular, looking at this issue of leadership in the church. Uh, this is a passage that talks to us about what faithful shepherding looks like in a local church. And so I'd ask you, uh, once you have that passage, to stand with me out of respect for God's Word as we read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is God's word for us this morning. Please be seated. You know, this is really a, a passage of God's word that teaches us that faithful and effective leadership in a church is vital. It's vital for churches. Uh, during World War II, Martin Lloyd-Jones was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. And of course, uh, there was a time during the German Blitz when every day bombs were falling all across the city of London and throughout different parts of England as well. And during that onslaught, many church buildings were destroyed and many congregations disbanded, some never to come together again. But Lloyd-Jones continued to preach faithfully at Westminster Chapel week after week after week in the midst of this peril and the story is told of one service where he was leading the congregation in prayer and a German bomb dropped so close to the building that it shook the walls violently, shattered the uh, windows and caused some debris to fall down. And Lloyd-Jones stopped praying for a moment and then continued to pray. And then he preached the entire sermon. And it was that calm, cool, determined demeanor that helped the congregation through that trial. And Lloyd-Jones was faithful to minister to college students as well during this period. And he had some, I think, really wonderful words of advice for them in terms of how Christians can reach others with the gospel, even in a time of war. He said, in our general life and conduct, there should be about us a calmness, a poise of spirit, and a general control of our lives, which should differentiate us Christians from all others. Whatever the conditions and however trying, we should show that we have hidden resources of which the world knows nothing. The way in which many of the first Christians faced death was a means of converting many to Christ and earned the enconium, these Christians die well. Now, I love that. There's, a, there's really a faith-filled moxie there as Lloyd-Jones led his church and it blessed his church. And under his faithful ministry, the Westminster Chapel not only got through World War II, but really uh, you know, went on to be a major force for the gospel in London and throughout the world for the next nearly 30 years of Lloyd-Jones' ministry. And the, the reality is nothing's changed since World War II. Uh, faithful leadership in the church, uh, effective leadership in the church, godly leadership in the church is still vital if a church is going to be blessed of God. So at all times, but you know, particularly during times of difficulty and trial, Churches need faithful leadership. They need elders who will shepherd the flock of God well. And that's what makes this passage so vital. Uh, because this is a, a wonderful passage that teaches us about what it looks like for shepherds 
to shepherd the flock well. You know, it's really a, uh, it's a serious passage, right? It reminds us that shepherds, elders, they face a responsibility, right? We're accountable to the chief shepherd for the way that we lead in the church. But it's also an incredibly hopeful passage because it reminds us that those who shepherd well, those elders who lead well, will receive a great reward from the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. So we're going to see all of that as we study this passage together this morning. So we are continuing our study of 1 Peter. We're coming to the end of the book. Uh, Lord willing, we're in our last two sermons now. So let me just kind of take a minute and remind you of where we've been over the past several months. So in 1 Peter, Peter begins this letter by encouraging us with the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading hope of eternal glory that we have in Christ. It's an incredibly hope-filled letter. That's where Peter begins the letter And then in the first part of chapter 2, Peter encouraged us to live as the holy people of God. He reminds us that God is holy, so we must also be holy because that's who we are in Christ. And then in the second part of chapter 2, in the first part of chapter 3, Peter really focuses on relationships. He focuses on how we're supposed to live in the world, you know, our relationships with the government. And what are our relationships in the home supposed to look like? And then he also teaches us about relationships in the church And then for the past several weeks, our focus has been on the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, where Peter has really unpacked a theology of suffering, right? Teaching us as Christians how to think about suffering well in light of the reality of who God is, in light of the reality of what God has promised He will do for us in light of the coming judgment of God, because we will likewise give an account to God for the way that we've lived our lives. Now in chapter 5, Peter's really kind of tying up this letter. He's concluding the letter by giving some final instructions to the elders of the church and also to the members of the church. And he begins in verses 1 to 5 by giving instructions for how elders are to care well for God's flock. And he gives instructions to church members as well for how they're supposed to respond to the elders that the Lord has placed in leadership over them. So we're going to study this passage this morning. We're going to ask and answer two questions. So two questions from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. The first question is this. How should elders shepherd the church? We're going to see that in verses 1 to 4. And then the second question this morning is, how should church members respond to their elders? And we're going to see that in verse 5. We're going to spend the majority of our time together this morning focused on that first question. And then we're going to cover the second question more briefly. So let's look at that first question together. How should elders shepherd the church? Look again, if you will, verses 1 to 4. Let me read that again. Here are God's instructions for elders. I exhort the elders among you as a faithful elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So he begins by exhorting these elders to whom he is writing. The word exhort there, it really talks about uh, influencing or even compelling people down a particular course of action. It's really kind of a strong word, and he's speaking to elders. And of course, elders are, it's another word for pastors. These are the leaders that God has placed over the church. And that title, elder in particular, talks about the spiritual maturity of the men that are called to that office. So one of the qualifications for elders is that they would be, relative to the congregation, spiritually mature. 
so they'd be able to be examples to the congregation. So we're not, when we use the word elders, we're not talking really kind of like age, uh, as if elders are just those who are older in the congregation. It's not that. Instead, the title elder refers to a man who, by virtue of his spiritual maturity, uh, has been uh, set aside by God, gifted by God, for the sake of leading in the church and recognized by the church to be one who should fulfill that office. In the first part of verse 1, then, what's Peter doing? He wants to talk to these elders in particular, and he wants to spur them on to faithfulness. And remember the context. The context is one of suffering and persecution. Now, the leaders have to lead well in times of suffering and persecution, and so he's speaking directly to them, telling them, giving them God's wisdom for how they are to lead the church. Now, before we move on, I want you to notice in particular that Peter uses the word elders, plural. So he's talking to a number of churches. He's talking to elders, plural there. And depending on your background, your experience of leadership in the church might be different, right? Some of us have been in churches where there was a, a single pastor who worked with deacons and committees in order to see the ministry of the church function and, and uh, hopefully thrive and flourish. Others of us have been in churches where uh, we understand that the, uh, the role of leadership is not one that God intends to be uh, usually for one person, but instead the normal pattern is that there would be a plurality of elders. There would be more than one men who have been set aside in order to lead the church. That's the model that we practice at Christ Fellowship. Now, why do we do that? We do that. We believe that you should have a plurality of elders because that's what we see when we look to the pages of the New Testament that it's the regular pattern that God has set in place, that there would be a plurality or multiple elders in lead over each individual church. So listen to Acts 14, verse 23. Here he talks about what Paul and Barnabas did. When they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then listen to Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And James 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so you see in each one of those instances, you have individual churches, but over those individual churches in terms of leadership, you have a group of men who are called elders or pastors or shepherds. Currently in Christ Fellowship, we are blessed to be served by five shepherds, five pastors, five elders, Adam Messer, Scott Mallett, Bryce Rader, Ron Stoll, and myself. And Lord willing, this afternoon at our members meeting, uh, which begins at 1230, and to which we hope you will come, we have the opportunity of seeking the Lord's will together on adding a sixth elder who would be Rob Smith. And we need great wisdom for that, and please pray for that meeting. But here's the thing, it is a blessing to have a plurality of elders. You know, it's a blessing because each individual man comes with a unique perspective and unique spiritual gifts and unique life experiences and unique abilities. And together, the group is able to shepherd the church far better than they would be able to if they were just trying to shepherd as individuals. So let's pray for our church and let's ask the Lord to continue to raise up elders in Christ Fellowship. You know, as the church has grown, the ministry has grown, the demands have grown, we need more elders to serve in the church. And the good news is that the Lord Jesus knows that, and he's not stingy with his gifts. And as we pray and as we seek him, he will raise up more men who will serve the church 
as elders. Now look at the second part of verse 5 here. We, we see the way here that Peter encourages these elders. He speaks to them directly. And look at how he includes himself, how he describes himself as a way of encouraging them. He says first that he was a fellow elder with them. Why would that be significant? Why would that be encouraging? Well, he's saying this, as an apostle, I'm not above you in the sense of we're all elders together and we're all going through the exact same experiences of suffering together as we follow the Lord. He wanted them to know that he was their brother and that he was suffering alongside them in the ministry. Second Peter reminds these elders that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Why would he point to the sufferings of a Christ? Well, it reminds them once again that just as the Lord Jesus suffered, so it's normal for Christians to suffer. It will be normal for them to experience suffering even as they lead in the church. And then Peter also reminds them that he was one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. So he wanted these elders to shepherd faithfully, to endure suffering, but he also wanted to remind them of the hope of glory that was coming. You see, he wanted them to shepherd confidently in a hope-filled way as they look forward with the anticipation of what the Lord would do, what he would bring when he comes to establish his kingdom. Now, when Peter says that he's one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, you know, he reminds us that the pattern for the Christian life is always suffering and then glory. And we talk about this a lot. There's been several times, really even during the study of 1 Peter, that we've made this point. But I wanted to make the point again this morning because we live in a world that is constantly calling us to find our glory and our joy in our life here in this life. We're told that the way to, to have joy is to you know, go to school and work hard and, and then get a great career and then marry the perfect spouse and then make lots of money and then retire early and then go do whatever you want to do for as long as you live. In other words... If you're going to be happy, if you're going to be joy-filled, you'd better do it here. You better get as much as you can here. That's the message that we are constantly surrounded with. But that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible for us as Christians is that the path of joy is following Jesus. And what was it like for Jesus? Well, Peter says, I'm an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. What was it like for the Lord Jesus? He suffered, and Peter witnessed his suffering but after his suffering was done, well, then Jesus ascended to the glory of heaven. And that sets the pattern for the Christian. And the pattern for the Christian is this, suffering and then glory. So we are not a group of people that are expecting all of our good things now. We're a group of people that are finding joy in following Jesus. And we are anticipating the day when the sufferings we endure in this life will be done and we will be with the Lord forever. We do need to remember, though, that the pattern is first suffering, then glory uh, so we should expect it. You know, the Apostle Paul told the disciples in Lystra that it was necessary to go through many hardships or tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. And some of us are suffering this morning at Christ Fellowship, right? For some of us, are, we're grieving the loss of loved ones. For some of us, our marriages are in a, a difficult place. It's a hard time there. Some of us are saddened by wayward children, some of us are struggling financially, trying to make the ends meet at the end of the month. Some of us are battling in intense anxiety and depression. That's just a reality. There are various forms of suffering at Christ Fellowship represented every single morning, which, by the way, is a great reason to come to church with a mindset of who can I bless and pray for and try to encourage on Sunday morning, right? To be looking for people that in particular are experiencing seasons of suffering so that we could minister to them. But we should 
expect suffering. But then here's the, here's the glory of this. Suffering doesn't have the last word for the believer. Glory does, right? Glory does. And how long is glory? Glory is forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what Peter says, that he's sharing in the glory about to be revealed. I love about there. It talks about it's coming. It's coming. Look ahead. Jesus is coming and he's bringing his reward with him. That must have been so encouraging to the elders to whom Peter was writing. And it should be encouraging to us this morning as we think about the fact that we share in that same hope. It's the same hope of glory that is coming. Well, Look at the first part of verse 2. Here he describes for us what it would mean, what it would look like for these elders to shepherd faithfully. He describes the work of the elders here. He says, shepherd God's flock among you. Now, did you notice that God's people are called God's flock, which means that we're being likened to sheep, which if you know anything about sheep, you know that that's not a particularly flattering description. Why? Because sheep are not particularly bright. And sheep cannot care for themselves. And sheep need ongoing and continual shepherding if they're going to survive and flourish. And that's the fundamental work of elders. And elders need to remember that they're also sheep. So what a great need we have for the chief shepherd, Jesus. But the work of the elder is fundamentally this task of shepherding, which means caring for faithfully the people that God has entrusted to your care. This was the task that the Lord Jesus called Peter to in John chapter 21, which Will read for us earlier during the service. Let me read verses 15 and 17 of John 21 again. Here's this fundamental task that the Lord Jesus gave to Peter when he was restoring Peter after Peter's fall. He said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend, literally shepherd, my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here's this fundamental task that the Lord Jesus gives to Peter. And then Peter also now expressing to the elders what their fundamental task is, says their fundamental task is to shepherd the people of God. Well, what does that entail? It entails a lot. It's a lot of work. It entails prayer. So individually, as elders of this church, we are regularly, as part of our own devotions, we are praying for you. But then when we gather together in our elders' meetings, we're also working our way through the membership directory, praying for you individually and praying for your families as families together. It's important for us to be praying and asking the Lord to do what only He can do, which is to help you grow and become like Jesus. And what only He can do, which is to help us be faithful as shepherds, because apart from Him, none of us can do anything. You know, shepherding also involves individual and group discipleship. It's something we're looking for when we're looking for the men who is God calling to be an elder in Christ's fellowship. We're looking for people, for men who are shepherding without the title. And much of that looks like making disciples, right? The fundamental command we've been given is the Great Commission, make disciples. So we're looking for men who are discipling others, teaching them how to follow Jesus, That could be in an individual context. It could be in a group context, like a community group as well. Shepherding involves counseling church members who are in particular seasons 
of difficulty. Shepherds need to know God's word well so they can speak to particular trials and help people think through their experience. Shepherding involves confronting threats to the church, and the church is constantly threatened. One of the threats is false teaching. And elders in Titus chapter 1 verse 9 are, are uh, to be those who can not only teach God's word well, but they must know God's word so well that they can recognize error and refute error when they see it. And shepherding re- requires elders to pour themselves out and even put themselves in harm's way in order to care for the flock. Charles Spurgeon is a wonderful example of this. In 1854, there was a cholera outbreak in London. At that point, cholera was very, very deadly, and many people were dying. And those who could, most of them just fled the city. They got out of there. For Charles Spurgeon, he's a young preacher at this point. He didn't flee the city. Instead, he visited the sick. And he visited those who were grieving the loss of their spouses and their children. He put himself in great danger. He did very difficult work, and he just trusted God. And you know what? His congregation was blessed because of his faithful shepherding. And elders, we must have the same perspective. It is good and right for elders to pour themselves out and even put themselves in harm's way in order to minister to God's people. Most especially, shepherding the flock requires the elders to teach God's word. Did you notice in John 21 that that the Lord Jesus said to Peter twice, feed my sheep? How fundamental was it, right? How fundamental is it that God's people would hear God's word? He says it twice, feed my sheep. God's people need God's word. So if a church is going to be healthy and strong, those who are in leadership in the church must ensure that God's word is being faithfully taught. And so pray for the elders of our church that we will be faithful in this point and pray that we won't get sidetracked. You know, uh, elders of churches don't wake up one day and say, I think we're just going to abandon teaching the Bible. They just get distracted. They just, you know, this new thing comes along and it seems exciting. And just little by little by little by little by little, they forget that God's people must be fed God's word. Pray that that will not happen at Christ's fellowship. We'll look now at the second part of verse 2 and verse 3. We see Peter gives three contrasts here to show us what the leadership of the elders should look like. He's really, again, painting a picture of faithful ministry. What does it look like? Well, he gives us three sets of contrasts. In the second part of verse 2, really kind of the middle of verse 2, Peter says, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Uh, So no one should be forced to serve as an elder. No one should serve as an elder because they feel like they have to serve as an elder. Instead, this should be something that comes from the heart of the man. Uh, There should be an inner compulsion that pushes the man towards serving as an elder. Why is that so vital? Because ministry, frankly, is difficult. And if you lack that inner compulsion to serve in this way, it will not take long before you are burned out under the strain of ministry. It's simply what happens. So we should not be serving out of compulsion, but instead we should be serving willingly, right? As God would have you. And the idea is according to God's will, as he's laid out for you in God's word. There's a second contrast kind of towards the end, or at the end of verse 2, Peter says, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. So elders in a church are not to use their authority in order to enrich themselves at the expense of the flock, as many false teachers do. No, instead, as Matthew Henry put it, elders should regard the flock more than the fleece. 
We should be caring about God's people, not what we can get from God's people. So elders should not be in the ministry for money, but instead they should serve eagerly. And the idea is freely, right? Again, from the heart, joyfully. Why? Because it's a privilege to serve as an elder. And then look at the first part of verse 3. There's this third contrast. Peter says, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. When I read this, I immediately thought of a podcast I recently listened to called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's kind of long-form journalism, and it lays out over a number of weeks what happened at Mars Hill Church as Mark Driscoll, who was the pastor and quite a well-known pastor at the time, uh, over time his pattern of pastoral ministry became more toxic and more abusive. And it just chronicles it, right? This idea of lording it over. It's really a horrible tale of what happens when... Uh, when arrogance leads a pastor to abuse his own flock. And the reality is we've all met big shot pastors who were determined to have their way, right? That's what they were going to do. And they were more than willing to barrel over anyone who got in their way. But here's the thing. Elders must never be bullies. Just, we must never be bullies. We're not to abuse the flock to get what we want. Rather, we're to lead in a way that we are examples, brothers, examples to the flock by the gentleness of Christ, by the meekness of Christ, by the wisdom, you know, the heavenly wisdom that you read about in James chapter 3. Listen to the kind of leadership that the Lord Jesus says elders of churches are to exemplify. This is what godly leadership looks like from Mark 10 verses 42 to 45. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the elders of the church must not be unwilling. They must not be greedy. They must not be domineering as they serve. Instead, they should serve like Jesus. I'll be helped if someone will grab me a cup of water. That's going to be necessary. Excuse me. All right, I needed a water break. But I also think it's appropriate to stop at this point and just thank God for the elders that he's raised up in this church, particularly the lay elders. So Ron and Scott and Adam, these men are serving and serving very well, but they're also serving with the reality that they have many other things pulling at them, many other responsibilities pulling at them without the weekend. They are serving above and beyond to serve as faithful pastors in the church and praise God for the way that he's used them to bless our congregation. Right, Ron and Scott have served for the past six years. Their term is, is coming to an end, their first or their second term is coming to the end here in June, and then they will get a much-deserved break. But, but you know, God has, has blessed our congregation. Adam has been serving us for the last year faithfully as well. And they're models to us, really, of willing and faithful serving as elders. Please pray for them and please encourage them. Now, why should elders serve in the way that Peter's talking about here in this passage? Well, he tells us in verse 4, he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So when you look at the teaching of God's word, you see that the office of elder, it's, it's a high office. There are 
Um, there are requirements for this office that mean you can't just be great at business. You can't just be a powerful force, a great personality. You know, it's, it's more than that. There are spiritual requirements, and there's spiritual labor, and there's effort and work. It's, a, it's an office that requires so much, and it's challenging, but then at the same time, it's a glorious thing to work with the people of God, even though the people of God can be difficult. Now, I'm not talking about this church. You guys are wonderful, but the people of God can be difficult. Why is that? Because we're all sinners. Everyone in this room this morning, everyone who will gather at 11 o'clock, we're all sinners, and so there are challenges in relationships. And then, of course, the pace of ministry is often slow. And working with individual people can be difficult, right? They don't always respond well to your leadership. And at times, sheep bite. And at times, sheep wander away. And it's important for elders to care enough to go after them. And Satan assails the leaders of the flock in a way because he it's in a special way. I think it's in a special degree because he knows if he can strike down the shepherd, then the sheep will be scattered. And so there's spiritual warfare as well. So why serve as an elder? You know, why not just kind of sit back let others take the lead and enjoy the benefits of church membership. Well, 1 Peter chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 5 verse 4 is where we see the answer. Peter tells us. He says that Jesus will reward faithful elders for their faithful ministry in the church. You know, he talks about a crown of glory here in verse 4. He says you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It probably doesn't refer to a literal crown, though that would be kind of a neat thing. More, it's talking about a glorious eternity. It's talking about a roar that the Lord Jesus gives to elders. It's a, an image that's taken from athletics in the first century, where these athletes would work so hard to win the competition, but then at the end, after they've won, they were given a crown, but the crown was made of the leaves of a plant, and so the glory faded very quickly. But the glory that elders will receive, the reward that they will receive from the Lord Jesus will not fade quickly. It will go on and on and on forever. It will last forever when the chief shepherd returns and rewards his faithful under shepherds. And what an amazing thing to think that the Lord Jesus would do that. Brother elders, we deserve hell. That's what we deserve. That's justice. What mercy that the Lord Jesus would reward us for the grace that he has worked in us to be able to serve and to shepherd his flock. You see, the Lord Jesus is kind. And those who serve him faithfully will be more than rewarded for their labors, for their efforts. So men of Christ Fellowship, let me speak to you about this then. If you have some desire to serve as an elder, know that the Bible says that the desire to serve as an elder is a good desire. That's a good thing to desire. Uh, and so it's appropriate for you to pursue that desire, to pray about that desire, to get counsel from others about that desire. It's a good ambition. Uh, those who elder well will receive a reward that is eternally glorious. So, so don't let the thought of the difficulty dissuade you. And don't be distracted, right? I mean, Satan is going to constantly offer other things or other things out here that may be immediately, you know, they seem a little more shiny. But don't get distracted by trying to build up your little kingdom in this world because this world is passing away. Instead, invest yourself in the people of God because the people of God are the one thing that are going to survive beyond this world and indeed for all eternity. If you have that desire, pursue that desire. One way to pursue it would be to talk with the elders of the church. Uh, we would love to pray with you about that. We'd love to talk with you about that. We'll seek God's will together on whether or not he would have you serve the Lord as an elder in the church. Uh, at the same time, we'll point you towards ways that you can be faithful in serving others right now, right where you are. 
And that's a good thing to do. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Now, as I meditated on what it meant to receive the crown of glory this week for serving as a, an elder, I just couldn't, I couldn't help but think about how grateful the elders should be. Right? We should be grateful to our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. It says we're going to receive a crown of glory. But the only reason why we will receive a crown of glory is because the Lord Jesus was willing to wear a crown of thorns. He was willing to be sacrificed on the cross in our place that we might be saved. So, brother elders, just think with me about the goodness of the gospel. We were born sinful and separated from God, right? It was not in our heart to love God and to follow him. It was in our heart to love ourselves and to serve ourselves and to pursue our own interest. And we did that, and we did that well. We ignored God. We ignored his word. We harmed others. We sinned in so many different ways. And we were condemned before God, right? Left to ourselves. We had no righteousness in ourselves that would make us acceptable to God. If we had stood before him in our sins, we would have been condemned forever for our sins. But the Lord God, our Lord God is so faithful and so merciful. Uh, The Father sent his son into the world. The eternal son of God became a man, Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life, right? Always loving others. You just look at him. He is the good shepherd. John 10 says he's the good shepherd. And what's he doing? He's faithfully shepherding God's flock all throughout his ministry keeping them together, feeding them the truth of God's word. He's providing for all of their needs and he's loving others and he's serving others and he's pouring himself out sacrificially and he's showing great compassion. And then when the time's right, the Lord Jesus, he went to the cross, brother elders for us, paying for our sins so that we might be forgiven for our sins. He died, but then he rose from the dead because the Father had accepted Christ's perfect sacrifice. And when we turn from our sins and we put our trust in him, Yeah, Jesus became our Savior. And all of our sins were forgiven. And we were welcomed into the family of God. We were made sons of God. What a blessing. And then God has now given us the privilege of serving him as elders in a church. And that is a great privilege. And we should be thankful. We should be grateful. And we should desire to serve the church faithfully. Friend, if you're here this morning, that message about Christ, it's the gospel. It's the good news of Christianity. That message is for you as well. You know, the offer of the gospel is that if you will turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, his perfect life, his perfect death, his sacrificial death, uh, his resurrection and power showing that God had accepted his sacrifice, if you will repent and believe in Christ and trust in him, the salvation we just talked about, it will be yours as well because God is a good and merciful God. So we'd urge you to trust in Christ this morning. If you want to talk with someone about what it would look like, we'd love to talk with you after the service this morning. So looking at verse 1 to 4, we see that elders should, uh, should shepherd the church faithfully, willingly, eagerly, and they should be looking ahead to the reward. That's how elders should shepherd. More briefly, a second question then, how should church members respond to their elders? Look at verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So now Peter, he kind of transitions. He's talking now to those who are younger. But in this instance, I believe he is talking about those who are younger in terms of age. He's talking to younger men and younger women in the congregation. And that's because if they're not careful, those who are younger can fall into pride and they can buck against the spiritual authority that God has given the elders in the church. But now the command that Peter gives them is to be subject. What does that mean? 
Well, we've seen the command before. We saw the same, it's a, the Greek word is the exact same one that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, where he speaks to the wives and he encourages them to submit themselves to the leadership of their husbands in the home. Actually, the word uh, is a, a military term that talks about lining up under the authority of another person. In other words, God has established the elders as leaders in the church, and he wants the people of God, and particularly speaking to younger, uh, younger members of the church here, to line up under the authority of the elders in the church. He, in other words, wants younger members to have the attitude that the author of the book of Hebrews describes in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Now let me give you a word of encouragement here. For the last two years, we have, as a church together, endured COVID-19. It's been very difficult waters. We're not out of the woods yet. It would have been very easy for members of the church to have become argumentative, to have pushed back, to have fought for their own way, but we have been so blessed by the way that the entire membership has borne with this together in love. Uh, our younger members as well have responded very well to the leadership of the elders. And here's the thing, we haven't always gotten everything right. This has been really hard. There have been times when we didn't know exactly what we should do, but we prayed for wisdom and we tried our best. But you guys have done just an excellent job of supporting us as we have labored together through this difficulty. And we just want to say thank you for that. You know, thank you for the way that you prayed for us. Thank you for the many, many notes of encouragement. And thank you for being willing to love others even during seasons of disagreement. And please continue to pray for us because, as I said, there's still more work to be done. Pray that God will give us continued wisdom as we continue to make challenging decisions in days ahead. So what now will enable the younger members of the church to do this? What will enable them to submit? We see that in the second part of verse 5. Peter says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here, Peter, you know, he kind of broadens out his command. Now he's talking to the entire church, including those who are younger in the church, the rest of church members, but he's talking to the elders as well. Every member of the church is being addressed here. And how does Peter encourage them? He says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. It's a beautiful picture of just kind of actively putting on humility like a garment. You know, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, what did he do? Well, he wrapped a towel around himself. And then he served humbly the disciples. It's a great picture of what we're supposed to do. We're to wrap humility around ourselves and we're to look for opportunities to serve and love others in the church. What is humility? You know, most essentially it's an attitude that says, you're more important than me, so I'm going to serve you. I'm going to look out for your interests. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to be concerned about you. I'm not going to demand my own way, but I'm going to seek God's wisdom for how we can move forward together. It's an attitude that God delights in. Few things capture the eye of God. Humility captures the eye of God. It says that in Isaiah 66, verse 2, I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. And humility is an attitude that we must all pursue at Christ Fellowship. You know, humility is one of those things that you have to continue to pursue your entire life because it's like, you know, who's going to say, yeah, I have a perfect prayer life? 
Well, no one's going to say, yeah, I am perfectly humble, because you're not as soon as you say it. So you continue to pursue humility. And as a church together, we have to continue to pursue humility together so that we can continue to be a healthy, uh, God-honoring congregation, which is our desire. And what happens if we do this? Well, look at the end of verse 5. We'll be blessed if we do this. Look at the promise. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And don't we want the grace of God to be poured out on this church? Right? Don't we want the grace of God in our lives? Well, the, the path to receiving this blessing is the path of humility. So here we've been reminded of what faithful and effective leadership in the church looks like from this passage. Uh, we see that our elders need to be wise and faithful and courageous and loving and God-dependent servants. And we see that as a church, we need to humbly follow the leadership of the elders that God has placed over us. So may God help us do that uh, in today and in coming days. And let's pray.